Happy birthday. Happy birthday. This is Pentecost. This is the birthday of the church. You're looking great after all these years. One of the great joys of the message of Pentecost is the conviction that God has gifted his people to bring glory to his name and blessing to the world. And we have gotten a taste of that today, have we not? How many of you found yourselves just feeling the stirring of God's spirit in a good way as we were singing, as we were praying? Can we express our thanksgiving to God for the fact that he's created these worship leaders that just know how to do this stuff? I just want to say thank you to the great team. And to the team in the back that gives their gifts in the, in the AV and tech area, just week in and week out, uh, guys and gals, just thank you so much for what that means to all of us. And the hospitality workers, the folks that are greeting us as we come into this place and, and roam in the hallways and the ones that are working alongside of our kids um, in, in such life-giving ways as we just got a taste of here this morning. How wonderful it is to watch the church alive with people using their gifts And it's just the taste. It's just the beginning of what's going to happen all week long as every single one of us goes out into the world uh, to use what God has given us to be representatives of his kingdom. And I want to think about that with you in a deeper way today as we plunge into the message of Pentecost. And I just want to start out by inviting us to pray together one more time. Lord, come now, we pray not in the power of human words, but of your Holy Spirit, that we might be filled afresh with you and able to fulfill the great purposes for which you have come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A few years back, I um, was handed a a letter that had been sent to the church. Um, It had one of those computer-generated mailing labels we've all seen and get in our mailbox probably daily at home. Uh, only this one struck me as particularly amusing because the computer had obviously made a little bit of an error. It had truncated the name of our, of our church. And, it, and the title on the, on the little uh, label read, To Christ or Current Resident. <laughs> I should have saved that thing because it was, it was really uh, intriguing to me. And I got to thinking to myself, is this God playing a joke? Is this God provoking me to think more about the meaning of that particular uh, message. Is there something here I'm supposed to take away? Um, Who actually is in residence here at Christ Church? Uh, Who's in residence in my my own life? And, And maybe even more importantly, what would be the evidence that that someone might have uh, of who truly um, lived here. I, um, I think of a story I read some years ago of a group of missionaries that were traveling through Africa, and they came upon a particular region that they planned to make a, um, an effort to uh, bring the Christian gospel to. And so they gathered together a bunch of the local people in one particular village, and along with them, the chieftain of the village, and they began to tell stories about Jesus. They began to describe the wonder of the Savior and how compassionate he was and how 
uh, beautiful his life was and how he spoke the truth in a way that opened eyes and brought light to people's lives. And, and as, he was, as they were going on in the teaching process, the folks were shaking their heads up and down as if like they really got this. And finally, the, the chieftain of the uh, village spoke up and through uh, a translator said to them, yes, yes, we know this man. We know this man. And the missionary said, you do? And he said, yes, well, he's been living right here with us for some time now. And the missionaries went on with further inquiry to discover that um, in the adjoining village and, and entering their own village frequently was a man by the name of David Livingstone, the famous missionary doctor. I wonder sometimes if anybody looking at my life might uh, be similarly confused about the identity of the person they were meeting. Uh, I wonder if anybody has ever run into you and found themselves similarly impressed by the Jesus-likeness of the way you move through the world. You know, this, after all, if you think about it, really is the goal of the Christian life. Uh, The Apostle Paul puts it uh, this way. He's praying for this day that comes when it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He sees that as the ultimate goal of our life together, that we get to the point where it is no longer we who occupy this body so much as Christ who is in residence there. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that. I mean, I know for myself in the journey, uh, it's easy to, to start to think of this, this uh, discipleship process as something much less than that. It's about coming together and gathering with a group of people and and it's about singing songs, and it's about uh, hearing a, a truth for the day, a, something I can take out with me and that might be useful uh, in my daily life in some fashion. It's about getting my kids raised with some ethics uh, a little better than the world offers. It's easy over time to have a sense of the goal of the disciple's life um, as something much less than, than it really is, if you think about it, based on what the New Testament has to say. Our hope needs to be that there's going to come a day when it is no longer our old personality that is kind of lumbering and grumbling along in this frame of ours, but there's going to come a day when it's Jesus living our life, living his life through our bodies, in a sense. Uh, You know, he's he's not going to erase our identity. He's not going to take away the distinctiveness and the and the beauty and the individuality of who he has made us to be. But more and more, his uh, spirit is going to be living and breathing through our words and our actions in dramatic ways. And people are going to conclude as they encounter us, somebody new is living in there. Somebody new has taken up residence there. Longtime atheist um, who became a a follower of Jesus, Lee Strobel, um, Chicago Tribune uh, writer, Uh, tells a story from his own life of this kind of moment when that change of residence began to uh, affect his life in a way that was actually visible to other people. And And he tells the story this way. My daughter Allison was just five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. And all she had known in her little five years of life was a father who was routinely profane and very angry. 
she had just been living with this guy who was just blowing gaskets all, all of the time. I remember I came home one particular night. I kicked a hole in the living room uh, wall just out of sheer anger and dissatisfaction with my life. And, and I'm ashamed, he said, to, to think of the number of times that little Allison ran away and hid in her room because she was afraid of her dad. He was just overwhelmed by the emotions of what was going on in the house. But five months after I gave my life to Jesus, my little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. I want God to do in me what he's doing in Daddy. And Strobel goes on and writes, she'd never studied the archaeological evidence regarding the truth of the Bible. She never had a course in Christian doctrine. All she knew was her dad used to be very hard to live with. But more and more, her dad was becoming somebody else. And if that is what God does with people, she thought, sign me up. I'm all in. And Strobel concludes, God changed my family. He changed my world. He changed my eternity. Is that your hope too when you come to this place? Is that your prayer as you go around uh, about your business through the week? That the life-changing love of Jesus Christ would alter your identity to the point where one day people could look at you and say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. They will say, oh yes, They'll hear somebody describing Jesus and say, oh, yes, we know him. He's been in our workplace. She's been there in that community organization I'm part of. Those folks are, are present in the environments that we're, that we're in. We, we know this Jesus that you describe. The really great news that I want to talk about with you this morning is that this is actually God's plan. He is more eager to have that happen for us than maybe we are even thinking about it as a possibility for ourselves. And in the Gospel of John, if you go back and you read the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 20th chapters of the Gospel of John, you'll hear Jesus talking progressively more and more about the work of the Holy Spirit that he was going to send. What the Bible uh, calls in the Greek the paraclete is the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on how you translate that Greek word, uh, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, can be thought of as functioning in any one of a variety of ways. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is spoken of as the counselor, sometimes as the comforter, sometimes as the advocate, sometimes as the helper that all of us need. And the truth is that the Holy Spirit is all of these things. And I want to think briefly with you today about those different dimensions of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Uh, the Holy Spirit is first and foremost the, the comforter. He is the one who enfolds us and encourages us with God's arms, his everlasting arms, when you're afraid, when you are hurting, when you've suffered a tremendous loss or a test in your life and you're really struggling. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and gives you what you need to hold it together, to keep going on. 
And, and you know that in those moments when you can't possibly go on on your own strength, that you're able to go on because He's there to comfort you. You do not have to go it alone. The Holy Spirit is also the counselor, Jesus tells us. He's the one who leads us into all truth, into, who, who changes our minds about things, gives us an ever-enlargening perspective on the nature of ourselves, of God, of the people around us. The Holy Spirit is the one, for example, who deepens your understanding uh, of a concept like forgiveness, for example. You may start out in the, in the journey and you think, well, forgiveness means that when somebody does me wrong, I don't hit back quite as hard as I feel like I would want to hit them back. I mean, I really could have hurt them, but I chose to restrain myself and I just did slightly. I used sarcasm. Uh, and then over time, the Holy Spirit works on you and you begin to think of forgiveness differently and you realize that, oh, forgiveness, if somebody hurts me, I'm actually going to refuse to do anything bad to them. That's what forgiveness means. And then you go further along with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is counseling you and helping you to understand, no, forgiveness isn't just uh, not doing wrong to them. It means that when somebody hurts you, you actually return good to them. And then maybe you travel really far with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lights up your life to the point where one day you are, you're, you're hanging in agony and you're looking at people that are actually thrilled at your being there and you're saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The Holy Spirit is the counselor that is leading you into a deeper understanding of the truth, helping you to find Christ's way as you go through life. He's giving you the breakthrough insight when you're just three years old that you need through the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he's illuminating you when you're 93 and giving you words of wisdom to speak into the younger generations. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. The Holy Spirit is also the advocate of God's uh, case through you. The Holy Spirit is the good wife. You know, think of the Holy Spirit's the great lawyer, the great one who is pleading the case of God uh, through your life. He's the one who speaks of God through you to other people. Even when you're unconscious of it, even when you feel like you're a pretty weak witness, the Holy Spirit is the one who uses the example of your life and the way you handle yourself with grace under pressure and the way you frankly confess your sin and your need of God. And you talk about how you're seeing God beginning to alter your perspective. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes the case for the power of God to change lives through your life. He's your advocate. And the Holy Spirit is also the helper. He's the one who pours God's strength into you when your strength is gone. I love the way the New Testament describes this particular helping function of the Holy Spirit. When the New Testament writers are describing this helping power, they use two different Greek words. One of them is the word exousia, which means authority. And the other one is the word dunamis, which means uh, dynamic energy. And, and in other words, the Holy Spirit here is the one that provides believers with authority over what might otherwise drag them down. There are situations you're going to have this week. You may be facing them already this morning when you find yourself dragged down. You find yourself tempted to fall back into into destructive patterns. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the authority to say to that, that, that tug that you're feeling to go where you know you shouldn't go. 
the one who gives you the power to say, I'm not going there. I'm not going to be destroyed and distracted by this. I will not succumb to this temptation. I will not be turned away from my calling because God is my helper. And he's given me the authority to say no to this, to overcome this situation or temptation. Holy Spirit is also God's dynamic energy. He is the one in whom the Apostle Paul, for example, was trusting when he said, God is able to accomplish immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine by the power that is at work within us. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to get up when we've fallen flat on our face. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power uh, to be filled with a supernatural ability to build up other people with our gifts, even when they may not be building us up very much. Uh, The Holy Spirit is this authority and this dynamic energy. Now, you will hear people talk about the Spirit in all kinds of wacky ways these days. How many of you ever hear people talking about Spirit? Uh, We've got Spirit days in our high schools. People talk about the Spirit in all kinds of different uh, ways. Sometimes people speak of the Spirit as as this life force that is just in us all. It's a wellspring of personal resource that everybody has within them and just needs to let bubble up in their lives. But that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us, comes from beyond us. The Holy Spirit is something we must let in. We must invite into our lives. Uh, Sometimes others will speak of the Holy Spirit as if he were sort of like electricity. He was... um, He was a power source that we sort of plug into the way we do our cell phones, you know, to recharge them. And then when we've got enough to go on our own again, we sort of unplug and we go on with our daily uh, life because we're now running on battery power and we're cool. We don't need that source anymore. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit will not be used uh, nor grant His power to anyone who does not want to use that increased capacity to be used by God. The Holy Spirit is looking for obedience, for willing hearts, for people who have availability to be used for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And it's to those particular hearts that God is particularly excited about bringing His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than Jesus moving from outside of us into us. He is the Spirit of God making His home within us and progressively renovating every single room in our lives. The Holy Spirit is, is, is not you know, God entering the uh, foyer of our life and, and, and being entertained for a little while and then slipping away again. The Holy Spirit is God entering in to that that. Uh, first part of our life, and then progressively working his way around into every closet, into the bedroom, down into the basement, into the place where you make make out your bills. Uh, He's progressively looking to bring his light and his love and his life into every room in our lives, to take up residence fully uh, in, in our lives. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is such an extraordinary power that when Jesus was leaving the earth, as we read in Acts chapter 2, and his disciples were terribly worried about the fact that he was going, in fact, depressed and grieving about this. Jesus 
Jesus was so excited that, that he kept trying to impress on them that it was a far better thing that the Holy Spirit come than that he stay with them. Because this Holy Spirit would be with them everywhere and all the time and bring about a, a profound renovation. How do we know that this is actually happening in our lives? How do we know if the Holy Spirit is in and is at work in our lives? How do you know if Christ has truly moved into you or if he's just an occasional house guest or somebody that you go and visit at church? Um, When we look at the believers into whose house the Holy Spirit moved at Pentecost, it strikes me that there are at least two vital signs of his residence. That, w- that we can make note of here. The first was an increase of passion for community in the lives of these particular people. Listen to the words of Acts chapter 2 again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on who? Each of them. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Who was filled with the Holy Spirit according to the Bible? All of them. That's right. The entire community. It was to the community of believers that the Holy Spirit came. It was in the community that the power of God was first seen. It was to a community of people that the gifts of the Spirit were given for the sake of upbuilding the church and extending the kingdom into the world. And a very short while later, in Acts chapter 2, 42 and following, we're given this video clip. It's sort of the first YouTube of the early church after its birthday. And and we see the ongoing life of the Spirit-filled believers. And we read, all the believers were what? Together, you hear the theme coming up again. They had everything in common. They were giving to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet. How? Together. They broke bread in their homes and ate how? Together with glad and sincere hearts. In other words, like the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that dwells perpetually in community, this God had now filled them up, taken up residence within them, and these people became passionate about community. They no longer went through life on their own. They, they, they were conscious always of being part of this amazing community, of being with their peeps, right? They, 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 they wanted to do life in community. And we see this all through the book of Acts and through the early part of church history this passion for community. And the second sign of the Spirit was a passion for outreach. No sooner that the Holy Spirit had come down into that house in which they were sitting and the Spirit's fire had lit the hearth of the whole of this new community, then the wind of the Spirit came and blew open the doors of that house and like a tornado whipped all those people and sent them right out into the world. That community was created for the sake of outreach. It was created to go out, to gather, and then to go out into the world and be a force for blessing. And God gave them the capacity, we read later on in this text, 
to share the good news of his kingdom with all kinds of people. Every conceivable kind of language and culture could now be reached because of the universal wonder of the power of God and his good news. And so his truth and grace, we read in the scriptures, came to people of every kind, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Hinsdalians, Elmhurstians and Downers Grovites, and the list goes on. Like there's no community out there that cannot be reached with the good news that there is a power for living available to human beings. There is a light that can enter our lives and renovate our houses and bring about a glorious new way of being. And everyone needs it. And so in the days that followed, the latter part of Acts 2 tells us this outreach becomes a way of life for the the community of believers. Um, they, They kept telling God's story. They kept meeting the practical needs of people in their neighborhoods in their communities. They kept praising God and enjoying the favor of many people. Do you know that in America today, people do not want churches in their neighborhoods? It's getting harder and harder to put up a church building. They don't want the traffic problems. They perceive the church to be irrelevant to the needs of the neighborhood. And in lots of parts of the country, it's, you, you can't even build a, a new extension onto a church or plant one to begin with. This was not the way it was at the beginning. The church was such a blessed force of outreach that people were thrilled, even non-believers, to have the church living in their community. They enjoyed the favor of many people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, those who were being renewed, those who were having the light fill up their houses too. Let me try and land this conversation and get personal for all of us. How do we spot the Spirit in us? How will we know if the Spirit is present in residence here, individually and corporately? Well, there are two reliable signs the Bible suggests. One, we will have a growing passion for community. Think about that. We will find ourselves excited about the thought of coming together on the weekends, not because of the thought of getting to hear Chad Negley sing, although that's a reason enough to show up around here. Not enough the chance to hear a, a preacher come up and speak, though ho- hopefully that will bring some help. But above all, for a chance to experience the community of faith, the triune God alive and moving amongst this amazing people. We will find ourselves hungering when we're not here on the weekends to keep reconnecting to that community. We'll be inclined to pray for the people that we hung out with on the weekend. We'll practice what the Bible calls the one another's. We'll we'll pray for one another. We'll bear one another's burdens. We'll encourage one another. We will spur one another on to love and good deeds. The list goes on. Just Google one another in the Bible and you'll find all kinds of practical pictures of that. We'll want to gather with each other when we can beyond the, the weekend. We might get together with a small group for prayer and study. We may get together with a community of other folks to go and serve someplace. We may have a prayer partner or somebody we're just reading a book with and uh, growing together spiritually. Uh, if Christ is at work within us, if the Spirit is there, we won't have to be arm-twisted into these things. We'll want to do it. I mean, it will just be the most natural thing 
in the world. And, and the drive to be in authentic community will overcome, over time, the power of all this individualism that is the rage today in, in the world. And, and the insane schedules and the diversions that pull us and fragment us uh, will slowly and progressively be overcome by this passion for the connectedness and the strength that comes from the connectedness of Christian community. Secondly, we're going to have a growing passion for outreach if the Holy Spirit is in residence here, okay? The, the wind is going to keep blowing the doors open. Just about the time we start feeling like a comfortable club, uh, arranging things just for us, the Holy Spirit will just come and open the doors and, and send our light out into the world. And we'll find ourselves excited about being used of God in all of the ways that we can. I, I loved a column that I read in the Chicago Sun-Times some time ago, Richard Roper's column, and he told the story there of a young man by the name of Daniel Crespo, an honor student at Gordon Tech High School. Daniel uh, was from a very uh, poor family, a uh, family with five kids, and two of the kids had physical disabilities. Uh, his mom and dad had seen in Daniel an unusual academic giftedness, and they had somehow managed to scrape together enough cash to enroll Daniel in, in Gordon Tech, this, this wonderful magnet school. And um, Daniel, in the environment there, just soared in every conceivable way. I mean, the kid was just rocking it at that school and was almost finished with his education there when his dad lost his job and after months and months of searching uh, could not find a, a replacement job of, of any kind. And so $4,000 short on the tuition tab, Daniel was told that he would not be able to walk with his classmates at, at uh, graduation. In fact, he wouldn't even get a diploma for all the time he'd put in. Well, the following day, the, the Sun-Times did a follow-up story on that first story and reported the wonderful news that an anonymous donor had come forward and made a contribution sufficient to pay off all of Daniel's bills. What the story did not report uh, appropriately uh, was the story behind the story. But I know that story, and I've been given permission to share it with you. Um, following the, the events of September 11th, a lot of people were shaken up. And one particular business guy, a very effective business guy, not a very religious person by nature, uh, found himself strangely stirred spiritually with a hunger to find a community. He was feeling unusually isolated uh, in this increasingly dangerous world, and he just felt moved to find some kind of a community that he could do more of his life with. And he wandered into one of the worship services of Christ Church of Oak Brook one day. And he stayed. And the Holy Spirit began to work on his life. And it began to take some of his natural gifts and repoint them. And it began to renovate uh, his character. And it made an ultimately amazing kind of difference in a whole variety of ways. And he wrote me a letter about this. He said, My life was all about climbing the ladder and making all the money I could. But since coming here, God has shown me 
that he has something so much more wonderful in mind. When I read the story of that high school kid, Daniel Crespo, something stirred in me. I've never done anything like this before, but I just knew God wanted to work through me. Do you hear the two themes here? Hungering for community, an increasing passion for outreach. I just knew it. And so I went down to that school and I wrote out that check and I feel so happy about it. If the Holy Spirit is at work in you and me, in one way or another, in deeds large or small, in deeds public or private, He is going to move us increasingly out of our comfort zones, out of our little clubs and circles, toward the needs of the world. And being involved in the mission of God in the world to build up people and bless them and redeem this creation He has made is not going to feel like work to us as the Holy Spirit is at work within us. We're going to find ourselves drawn increasingly by compassion for the needs of people. We're going to be eager to meet them with the gifts that we've been given. You're going to be praying for God to speak through you wherever you go. You're going to be praying that God will speak through our church in the world. You're going to think that the most exciting thing about being part of Christ Church of Oakbrook is not coming to a great facility but being part of this movement of grace out in the world wherever we go together and where we scatter in the days ahead. You will want more and more people out there to find a place in the lifeboat, to get a seat around the banquet table of God's grace, to enter into the community of faith, to find a place around the fire of the light of what God is doing in this residence on the corner of 31st and York, and in this residence, this holy temple, your body, wherever you go. And so you'll reach out. You will reach out naturally because the Holy Spirit, the good shepherd, the light of the world, is living in you and moving through you. At Pentecost long ago, a very ordinary group of men and women sat together in one place, just as we're doing today. Think about that. They were no more gifted. They were no more prepared than we who were sitting in this room. They sat together in one place. They came to that place out of obedience because Jesus had said, go there and wait. Just like we've done today. Somebody said, go there. We came and we've been waiting Because obedience almost always precedes God's greatest actions. And as far along the spiritual journey as these people were, they wanted more of God. As I imagine, each of us would love to have even more of God. And so they prayed and waited. And God came in power and filled them up and turned the lights on with his residence and sent them out to change the world. The question is, what do you and I believe about God? What do we really want? Do we want more of the current resident or do we want more of Christ?
And if your answer is the latter, then let's dare to ask him. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Say it with me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And all God's people said, amen.